0: Arteta proven right over Ramsdale City and Liverpool play out a draw Spurs lose again Garnacho screamer and some Derby d'Italia chat all of that to come on the debrief we're back hey everybody how's it going hope you're all good hope you're all well hope you've had a cracking weekend welcome back to the debrief on the chronicles of a podcast with me Harry you, My, 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 it's cold outside. I know I always start off by talking about the weather. It's the British thing to do, right? But my God, it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Like, What is this weather? I know we're in the end of November and we should expect it. You know, I've lived in this country all of my life. I should know that this is what happens around this time of year. But yeah, I'm really, really struggling with it. And it's kind of like making me feel down and miserable and moody um thankfully Kai Havertz went some way in uh, improving that uh just the other day but um yeah I uh, hope you're all good hope you're all well hope you guys are not letting the weather uh, get you <laughs> down uh, at this moment in time uh, I'll say a few hellos to some of you joining us in the chat um good uh, afternoon good evening to Amira Uh, Good evening to Afsar. We've got Leslie. We've got Robin. We've got Adair with us. We've got Fort Lauderdale, Guna Craig. Um, We've got Russ. uh, Who else we've got in here? We've got Goon Gang. So many of you uh, in the live chat. If I go through everybody's name, that's all we'll do. Uh, But great to see so many of you with us uh, in the live chat box as always. Uh, Where is it? There was a comment from Afsar where he said it's going to get colder. It's going to be cold, he says, for the next 10 days. I've read that as well. Uh, God help us if it gets much colder than this. Maybe I'm just at that point where I don't want to accept that I need to wear a much bigger coat. Like I was at Brentford on Saturday night and everybody else was wrapped up with like hats and gloves and massive coats. And then I turned up and I had a warm coat, but I didn't have any gloves. I didn't have a hat with me. And by the end of the game, I was absolutely freezing freezing and i was in paris yesterday and i can tell you it's just as bloody cold there and wet and windy and all the rest of it and when i got off the plane last night when i landed back in london somebody said to me somebody that was on the flight next to me as the the lady opened the doors because we were on the back row of the plane and you just felt this gust of wind come through and you looked outside and it was absolutely chucking it down somebody went well just in case you've forgotten where you've landed that'll teach you. And absolutely, uh, that was the case indeed. Uh, Right, on today's show, uh, that's enough weather chat. We're going to talk the Ramsdale situation because I've been thinking long and hard about this. And I want to approach this from two different angles. Angle number one is, has Mikel Arteta been proven right on Aaron Ramsdale after his performance the other day? And the other angle I want to look at it from is, Was what happened in terms of the way it panned out at the weekend the perfect scenario for the Arsenal boss? And I'll explain what I mean about that in a little bit more detail. We're also going to reflect on that game between City and Liverpool. I thought it was a fascinating encounter between those two. And I learned a few lessons uh, about them and where they are at uh, as a result of that. Spurs lose again, three on the bounce. What happened to Ange Postacoglu, who was going to guide Tottenham Hotspur to Premier League glory. He's still doing a good job, to be fair to him. But I think we need to ask some questions of him, of his playing style, of his refusal to change it, despite not having the players to carry out the style of football that he clearly wants them playing. We're also going to touch on Garnaccio's uh, screamer, you have to. I know it was a United goal, but you have to, don't you? It was that good. And we're going to touch on the Derby d'Italia, which took place last night between Juventus and into All of that to come on today's show. Don't go anywhere. But we're going to start with an Arsenal theme, as you'd expect. It is an Arsenal channel. It is an Arsenal podcast. And we're going to talk Aaron Ramsdale. And I'm interested to get you guys' thoughts and takes on this as well, because, you know, I don't know if it's one of those situations where I've just spoken about this and, and thought about this so much over the last few months that I've driven myself batshit crazy. And maybe I'm looking at it through a totally totally different wrong lens um different wrong lens through a different lens um it might be the wrong lens though uh we'll get into it anyway um on this show so obviously it was pretty clear that barring a major breakdown in the relations between Arteta and Aaron Ramsdale that the England goalkeeper was going to start the game at Brentford. Now, we established why David Raya, of course, ineligible, currently being on loan from Brentford, although Fabrizio Romano has reported that Arsenal have decided to take up that option and that deal is going to go through. And you take into account Thomas Frank's comments as well, who said, I'd be very surprised if it doesn't happen. You know, you can safely say that that David Raya is going to become an Arsenal player uh, very, very soon and, and in the not-too-distant future. He is already an Arsenal player in his current capacity. But in terms of a permanent deal being completed, that, of course, can't happen until, um, you know, a transfer window opens. I suspect that Arsenal will still wait until maybe even the end of the season to confirm that. I don't think they need to do it in January, seeing as he's signed on a season-long deal. And I think Arsenal will do it in a way that works best for their finances and their financial situation. That's why Brentford were willing to let him go on loan in the first place. As long as there were some guarantees in place that protected them, they were always going to be open to and happy to facilitate that. Um, So Ramsdale comes into the side, starts the game at Brentford and all eyes were on him. And the reason all eyes were on him was A, because this has been a debate that's been raging on all season and it wasn't just going to disappear this week but B because Nick Ramsdale, his father in a recent interview with our friends over at the hybrid squad talked about the situation at length. And that brought the whole thing to the fore again. Um, it, It made, you know, it turned the story from something that was probably fizzling out a little bit in terms of the people that I'd been speaking to and hearing from anyway, back into a big deal, back into a headline, back into, you know, the, the main event. Now, In he comes, and in my opinion, he doesn't play very well. Okay, the first half was a really, really poor display from him. You know, he obviously very, very nearly cost us a goal, um, which would have been a disaster. Um, And then, of course, you know, he kicked or he threw the ball out um, really, really poorly, uh, and he gave it straight to a Brentford player. So, look... When it comes to Aaron Ramsdale's first-half performance, there's no doubt about the fact that it wasn't good enough. Now, you could make the case and you could make the argument that the reason he performed like that and the reason that he played like that was because he was under immense pressure. He felt the pressure. He felt the need to come in and have a blinding game because, A, he wants to win his place back in the team, but, B, the comments that his father made, which sparked this story back into life again and put it right at the top of everybody's agenda again – have added extra scrutiny to him. And he almost felt the need to go out there and prove to Mikel Arteta that no, my dad is right to back me and support me. Look, I've always said about the the Nick Ramsdale comments, they didn't come from Aaron himself. So there's only so much you can hold him accountable for that. There's only so much responsibility for that that you can pin on him. Do I think he knew that his dad was going to do that? I think he probably knew that his dad was going to go on a podcast. Whether he knew that his dad was going to speak the way he did. I'm not sure. And I'll give Aaron the benefit of the doubt for that. I'm not going to talk about the validity of those comments again, whether they should or should not have been made. We've been over that a million and one times. My stance on it is it just didn't help. It isn't going to help Aaron. And it certainly wouldn't have gone down well with Mikel Arteta. And some people would suggest that the fact that Arteta gave a bit of a cold response when asked about Ramsdale after the game, um, kind of shows and and proves that maybe Mikel is not happy with the circus that this whole thing has become. Um, he did praise him in the press conference, but it came after a follow-up question where he talked about the player's courage and character. And he said, that's why we love him and all the rest of it. Just looking at Mikel Arteta when those moments were occurring, because that was my first instinct. Ramsdale throws the ball away. Um, to an opposition player, you know, nothing comes of it. But as soon as the danger subsides, I turn my head to Mikel Arteta. And I did the same when he almost uh, sort of gave the ball away on the edge of his six-yard box, causing us another problem. And Mikel Arteta did not look impressed. Now, Mikel Arteta often, when his goalkeepers, you know, play out from the back, and and even if there is that jeopardy and that risk there, and, and it does at times get a little bit too close for comfort... Normally encourages, and he didn't do it in the immediate aftermath of those incidents. He did make some effort, I would say, throughout the game because he was right down in front of me to, you know, give Ramsdale encouragement when he felt he needed it. But in those two moments, it was heart in the mouth stuff. And Mikel Arteta certainly did not enjoy uh, those moments, not one bit. So, Going back to kind of what my original point was, and and actually before I do that, let me just be clear that I think Ramsdale was better in the second half. But my original point was, has Arteta been proven right? Well, if Ramsdale is going to turn in performances like that when he comes into the side, then the noise around whether or not he's in it is going to be reduced because it was already starting to reduce, I think, um, over the past few weeks. And for some strange reason, you know the, the the comments that his father made. Well, no, not for some strange reason. He knew what he was doing. The comments that his father made for me just you know reignited the whole thing and and, and added that pressure. The question is, if you cut co- well, the point is, I should say. I'm sorry, I'm mixing up my words a bit today. The point is that if you come in and you don't perform, if you come in and you don't perform, then the justification for you being in the team is reduced. Therefore, the noise will reduce. Therefore, this is something that we can all put behind us and move on from. Hussein in the chat says, you keep saying that you don't want to talk about the goalkeeping situation, but can't go a day without doing a shot on it, a show on it, I beg your pardon. Well, that's because everyone's talking about it. And the purpose of the debrief, aside from touching on other games and and other stories, which we're going to do, is to kind of debrief after the weekend and sometimes I think and it certainly happens with me you look at things through a slightly different lens and and through slightly different eyes actually when the weekend has been and gone you understand the context of everything and you've had a bit of time to process the emotion subsides and you have time to process these things to me that performance from Aaron Ramsdale at Brentford on Saturday did him no favors and I think there are a lot of Arsenal fans out there now who are starting to kind of just back off a little bit from this whole why isn't Ramsdale playing thing, narrative, whatever you want to call it. Because if it's about pressure and he shows that he can't handle the pressure, then that's no good to us. If it's because he's a bit rusty, well, you know, that's unfortunate, but it means that you shouldn't just throw him in the team, which again backs Mikel Arteta's point. And the other point that I made right at the beginning of the show, which was, you know, this scenario, this situation has played out perfectly for Mikel over the weekend is because of this. Mikel Arteta put Aaron Ramsdale in the team because he had to. Arsenal go to Brentford. Ramsdale has a stinker of a half. Arsenal, fortunately, are able to keep a clean sheet despite that. They go down the other end and score a late winning goal. So ultimately, the outcome is that Arsenal go away from home and ultimately that's what Mikel wants, right? It's results, that's his remit, that's what his primary responsibility is. Arsenal go away from home, they keep a clean sheet, they get all three points. And Aaron Ramsdale has a bad enough performance for people to maybe back off. Just about a good enough performance for Arsenal to win the game 1-0. And so Mikel's got his got what he wants on both fronts. He's got the points, he's got the clean sheet, but he's also got tangible proof of why, in his mind, Aaron Ramsdale isn't the number one anymore. It's really, really interesting. Really, really interesting. Goon Gang, who I think makes a really valid point in the chat, says, let us not forget, we hired Brentford's goalkeeping coach. Raya has always been the objective. It does back up the point, right, that Raya was always someone that Arsenal wanted and someone that they'd move for should the opportunity present itself, which goes against Nick Ramsdale's point of, well, as far as we knew, My son was the number one and there was never anyone else in the picture. And we only found out a little bit later on. So, yeah, it's difficult. It's difficult, isn't it? Uh, Diego says, "Uh, Harry, I think the game, I think this game should settle the situation. Both keepers are making mistakes, which is normal considering the media pressure. But Ramsdale seems considerably more nervous and unsettled. Um, Steve says, I'm unsure that Mikel Arteta would be happy with his goalkeeper having a poor game, Harry. I'm not saying that Mikel Arteta will be delighted. What I'm trying to say is that in the end, while he might have been having kittens on the sideline on Saturday, given what was unfolding in front of his eyes, in the end, it's worked out quite well for him because he's in a position now where he isn't going to have to defend himself next week if the goalkeeping question comes up. In fact, the goalkeeping question probably won't come up next week because people watched that on Saturday. And it might seem and feel like a silly question to ask now because Ramsdale comes in, doesn't really perform. So what ammo do you have as a journalist or as a fan to be firing at Mikel Arteta, demanding answers on why he's not playing him? Do you see what I mean? I'm, I'm not saying that after the game, he was walking in the dressing room, rubbing his hands together and clapping and giving himself a pat on the back and saying, see, I told you all. I'm not saying that for a second. What I'm trying to say is that this worked out quite well for him in that he got what he wanted out of the game, but he also gets that bit of breathing space now with regards to this subject, because a lot of people, not everybody, but a lot of people watch that at the weekend and maybe quietly are saying to themselves right now, ah, that's why. So that's that's my point around that. But anyway, we're going to move on from Arsenal. Let me know uh, what you think uh, about that in the comments if you're watching this. Uh, after the live stream. If you're listening on audio, please do uh, get in touch as well. I'd love to hear from you. Make sure you leave a review on there. If you're watching us on YouTube, uh, which plenty of you are, make sure to leave a like on the video. We've been snacking on this lately. I haven't really been asking as much and the numbers have dropped on the likes. So it, it does go to show that although it's annoying and you lot hate me for doing it, it does bloody work. So please uh, do leave a like on the video. Right, very, very short pause. And then we're going to look at what else happened in the Premier League this weekend. Manchester City and Liverpool played out a 1-1 draw at the Etihad in what was a cracking game of football I really really enjoyed it a lot of people were annoyed that it was at 12 30 and I do think that had an impact on the game uh, we'll talk about that in just a second but for me it was perfect because it meant I could watch it in full before I had to leave to go down to the GTEC for the Arsenal game so it worked out quite well uh, Manchester City of course took the lead through Erling Haaland but Trent Alexander Arnold equalized in the second half for the Reds and neither side was able to find the winner um is the audio, by the way, on on here fluctuating in terms of the volume? Because my microphone is like going crazy. One second. Okay. I don't know what's going on. Can you see the green lights on my microphone? They seem to be going up and down. They should just be solid, so I don't know what, what's up with that. Uh, but if it's coming through okay, then I won't bother messing around with it. But, yeah, a little bit concerned about that. Uh, Yeah. Let me know. Let me know. Hold on. Let me try and sort this. Here we go. Um, why is it changing? One sec. One, two, one, two, one, two. Okay. I don't know. Sound okay. Uh, It says Afsar in the chat. Um, okay. In fact, yeah, let's carry on with the Man City Liverpool chat. Apologies. Uh, That threw me off the mic issue. It's still doing it on my screen. So I don't know what the deal is with that. Um, Amira says, uh, yeah, it's fluctuating a little bit. Hold on, let me unplug it and plug it back in again. That might help. One second. Can you bear with me for a second? I think we'll do that. Maybe that's done the trick. Hopefully, sorry about that. I don't know what's going on. It seems to be solid now. Uh, fingers crossed that will last throughout the duration of the show. Mic problems. God's sake, I sound like Tom Canton. <laughs> right. Um, let's get into that Manchester City versus Liverpool game. Then look, I thought it was um a really really good performance from from. Do I want to say both sides? I, I was going to say both sides. I don't think it was that great from Liverpool, to be honest. Like, I think what they did, they did well. Um, I thought that they carried quite a bit of threat in the first half, in particular on the counter-attack, and probably could have made more of some of those situations they found themselves in. City were just City. Um, I think the question is, right, the big question is, will City feel hard done by based on the fact that maybe they should have had a goal? Um, in the second half because when the ball came into the box there was clearly a coming together between the attacker and the goalkeeper and the the on-field decision was foul and I'm actually okay with that right because we've seen that precedent set at least it's consistent you know we've said for a long long time that in the Premier League actually goalkeepers get way too much protection and we've said that over and over and over again that didn't change at the weekend but obviously when you look at what happened to us up at Newcastle a little while ago, a few weeks ago now? And you think that that was deemed? Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. NerdWallet's trusted financial journalists use fact-based reporting for some much-needed clarity in the finance world, helping you make smarter decisions with your money. The nerds have helped me get smarter about things like planning for my tax bills, so I don't dread April every year. Producing a balanced budget not just for football and saving on travel because spending less on airfares means more money for an extra night and maybe a fancy dinner too. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favourite podcast app. Future you will thank you. What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland, for innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. Not to be a foul, somebody making forceful contact with two hands into the back of someone. If that's allowed to pass, why was this one not allowed to pass? Do you know what I mean? That that that's my my issue with it. Now I know people will point to the fact it's the goalkeeper, and I agree that goalkeepers generally get more protection. But if the threshold with regards to what deems a foul is as high as what we saw at St James's Park, and so they were allowed to let that go, then how on earth can we sit here and say that that was a foul uh, on the goalkeeper there? Liverpool were somewhat fortunate, I think, with that, but they did enough to get a point. You know, they 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 really did. They did enough to get a point, and. um, And it's a good point for Liverpool, not such a good point for Manchester City, but a great point for us, a huge point for us. Because, you know, when there's three teams in a title race, and I've said this before, the more teams involved, the better, because the more opportunity there is for the sides that you're in uh, the race with to drop points. Now, you still have to do your job and you could argue that it works the other way in that then you've got to play another very strong team etc etc but the the likelihood of of two teams dropping points is is more than one team or relying on one team to drop points so i want liverpool to be in the title race i really really do i think it's easier to chase down or it's easier to be in and among a pack than it is to be a one-on-one when you're up against a juggernaut like manchester city credit to liverpool they found the equalizer they defended relatively well after that as well um Pep Guardiola was visibly frustrated at the fact that his team weren't able to win that. I don't think it's anything for Man City to worry about at this stage. Like, if I were a City um, supporter, I wouldn't be saying, oh my God, that's our title, hopes has gone, and all the rest of it. I'd still be quite confident that post-Christmas um, sort of Christmas, City would go on a run and, and be the formidable side that we've seen them become over a number of years. So, yeah, nothing really to worry about, but an interesting game uh, between those two sides, I thought. And I think we're seeing teams clock on to how to play Manchester City now. Manchester City want you to um, to surrender all the possession. They want you um, to, at some point though, be brave. They want you at some point to come onto them and create space. And what teams are doing now is saying. You can have the possession, but you can only have it in that third of the pitch. The minute you cross into the next third, we're going to be a bit aggressive, but it's controlled aggression against them. That's what we did so very well in that game at Emirates Stadium. It was you come into our defensive third, we're going to come after you. You come into the middle third, we're going to come after you. But when you've got it in your defensive third, have it. Have it all day long there. There isn't that you know, you look at Liverpool's sides of the past, you know, that, that rock and roll football that Jurgen Klopp became famous for. You look at the way Arsenal approached it last season, where it was press, 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 press. And instead, both sides so far this season against Manchester City. And I'm sure Jurgen Klopp would have looked at the game between City and Arsenal. You look at it now and you go, hold on a minute. There is times where I should be aggressive, but there are also times where I should be just organised and in the right shape and making sure that I'm protecting all the right spaces. So teams seem to have found that, at least Arsenal and Liverpool seem to have found that balance now when it comes to playing against them. So yeah, that's a real positive um, that Manchester City don't look unbreakable anymore. Um, And and we kind of need that to happen, don't we? That, of course, opened up the opportunity and the door for Arsenal to then go on and go top of the league. And we did it. We left it late, but we bloody did it thanks to Kai Havertz. Um, I'm still so chuffed for him, you know, every time I think about it, every time someone brings it up now, I smile because, you know, we we all want him to succeed, we all want him to do well in Arsenal colours, It it's at times look like it's not going to happen, um, but I think, you know, the more and more uh, he becomes accustomed to not just the team, but the role he's being asked to play, which is this versatile hybrid role, you know, you come on the pitch, you might be a centre forward, you come on the pitch, you might play on the right, you might play on the left, you might play in Odegaard's position, I just think for me, it's taken a little bit of time, and I thought when he came on, as I mentioned in the in the the sort of post match pod, you could see straight away that the dynamic had changed, and that's the kind of impact that I want Kai Havertz to play, um, uh, to have. I beg your pardon, and hopefully we're going to see more of that going forward. Elsewhere in the league, though, um, Luton Town beat Crystal Palace. Um, great result. Uh, For them, of course, Um, Bournemouth won at Sheffield United. Big, big result for them, um, given their predicament at the moment. Newcastle absolutely thrashed Chelsea. Now, I'm not going to sit and go through the ins and outs of that Newcastle-Chelsea game, but there's one player that I want to talk about. Actually, two Chelsea players that I want to talk about. I'll give Newcastle their flowers um, with the injuries that they have uh, to turn in that level of performance and to, to produce a result like that is all credit to them. Um, You know you're going to get hard work with an Eddie Howe side now. You know you're going to get that Housery. You know you're going to get an aggression that maybe Eddie Howe teams in the past didn't have. And I do attribute his kind of change of mentality and philosophy to that time that he spent with Diego Simeone, the best in the business uh, at that stuff. But there's two Chelsea players I want to talk about. The first one is Thiago Silva. That was the first time I looked at Thiago Silva And thought, your legs are gone. As the first time I looked at him and thought, you look now like a 39 year old playing in the Premier League. And that's a shame. You know, I think all players at the end of their careers have that moment. Gary Neville's talked quite openly about his moment. And I think that that will be the case for Thiago Silva. And I'd be surprised actually, if he continues beyond the end of this season, particularly if those moments keep occurring and he doesn't feel right. In himself. The other one I want to talk about is Reese James. Um, Chelsea captain. But I've got to say, I think he's letting them down at the moment. I really, really do. And I know Chelsea fans are reluctant to be critical of Reese James because he's been a good servant to the club. You know, they know he's a really top talent, and he is that. You have to be fair. The problem is for me with Reese James is that he spends so much time off the field because he can't stay fit. They can ill afford to be picking up suspensions left, right, and center was such a needless sending off that he picked up at the weekend. So needless. And if you go back to the game against Spurs as well, and you watch that back, he was quite fortunate that day not to receive a red card as well. So if you're going to be the leader, if you're going to be the main man in this Chelsea side, you know, you need to be leading by example. And you cannot be getting yourself sent off and, and making reckless, silly challenges all the time. Now, people will probably counter that point and say, well, actually, he's playing in a rubbish team. He's been exposed as a result of that. And he's been put in situations where he has to make last gas challenges. To me, man, it's it's just not good enough. Like you're not available enough as it is. You do not need to be making needless, silly challenges like that. Getting yourself not just sent off, but then suspended uh, moving forward. So, um, yeah, those were the points I wanted to make on that game. Uh, We touched on Brent, or we talked in detail about Brentford Arsenal on the last episode make sure you check that out but we move on to Sunday's games in just a second just the two games on Sunday this week Tottenham took on Aston Villa Tottenham lose again um Ange Postecoglou three on the bounce now my how the tables have turned at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Again, uh, a few points that I want to make on this game. First of all, I want to pay uh, credit to Unai Emery and the job that he's doing with this Aston Villa side. They are on fire at the moment. He's showing that he's tactically adaptable. He's showing that he's recruited really, really well or been a big part of the recruitment process. that's brought in a lot of really good players and uh, Villa are a threat for the European places. There's no doubt about that. But if we flip it back to Spurs, if I were a Spurs fan, I wouldn't be shouting it from the rooftops, but I'd be quietly concerned about Ange Postacoglu and this obsession with playing this attacking football, the obsession that he seems to have with his style of play. In an ideal world, you want to have a philosophy and you want to build it over time, but it takes time. It takes time. You you think about the early Mikel Arteta days at Arsenal, right? Remember when he came in in that FA Cup campaign that we obviously went on to win it was a back 5 at times you know it was with um Aubameyang up front it was a really really different setup wing backs all the rest of it and over time when he started to build the squad that he wanted and the squad that um sort of he believed was capable of playing his brand of football we adapted and we changed and you look at the difference between Arsenal last season and Arsenal this season There is a difference. There is an adaptation. That's what you need to do to move with the times. That's what you need to do to constantly remain in the race. Ange Postacoglu has lost players, some due to injury, which is obviously unlucky. Van de Ven, Madison injuries. But Romero being out because he's suspended, that's Romero's own fault. Udogi being out a couple of weeks ago because he was suspended, his own fault. Bissouma suspended his own fault. I don't have massive sympathy for them when it comes to the suspensions. In fact, I don't have any sympathy for them because I'm an Arsenal fan. But the point I'm trying to make here is that under those circumstances, surely if you were focused on the result, you'd be saying to the boys in the dressing room, look, guys, you know, you know that this is the way that we want to play football in an ideal world, but we need to, slightly adapt our game to cope with the problems that we have currently within the squad, i.e. we need to sit our line a little bit deeper, i.e. we need to to be a little bit smarter in the way that we attack. We need to be a little bit more clever in how we take on opponents. And because we don't have the centre-backs that, you know, we believe are capable of winning those one-on-one duels and battles and and coming out on top in those situations. We're going to give them a little bit more protection by being a little bit more disciplined in the midfield, by having our full backs tuck in a bit, whatever it is. He needs to come up with an alternative way of playing and he needs to make tweaks and adjustments to help them during a period where they're without some of their key players. Because if he doesn't, they're going to continue to lose every week. And all of a sudden, Lots of that great work that they've done at the start of the season, regardless of what people want to tell me, has been undone. It's been undone because they've now lost three on the bounce. Villa have got one of the best forward lines in terms of getting in behind. Oli Watkins, Musa Diaby. And you play with a high line like that with Emerson Royale and Ben Davis at the heart of your defence? Eric Dyer's there. Now, I don't particularly rate Eric Dyer, but that's not the point. He's a centre-back. Yet you're scraping the barrel, putting fullbacks in at centre. back. to me, it's just, it's weird. It's, it's strange. I understand the idea of wanting to play your way, but there have got to be times where you look at it and you go, I'm going to be realistic about this and I don't have the players to play that way. Therefore, I'm going to slightly change it up so that we can try and get results. Because people say, you know, they're taking confidence from him, sticking with his style and all the rest of it. No, you take confidence from results. You don't take confidence from anything else. Um, some will say that, you know, it's not really down to Postacoglu, the fact that they lost yesterday. Halos says, to be fair, against Postacoglu, um, didn't Son have a hat-trick disallowed against Aston Villa? He did, but all rightly so. The point I'm trying to make is that if you just change the game a little bit and adapt your game, you stand a greater chance of getting results. Now, what Ange Postacoglu is doing by setting up in this sort of gung-ho way week in week out is essentially saying we're just going to have a gunfight with you and whoever lands the most shots wins you shouldn't want to play with that level of risk not in my opinion anyway now you take those risks and you take those gambles when you have enough within your ranks to believe that your players will win their one-on-one individual battles and therefore you know, you've got an advantage all over the pitch. If you look at that the center of defense and you don't think it's right, then how can you play with such a high line? You know, that those are the things that that drive me crazy. But because Angie's a nice guy, apparently, you know, nobody will criticize him for it. And he drives me up the wall. Um, elsewhere, Everton uh, were beaten 3-0 by Manchester United at Goodison Park. Alejandro Garnacho opened the scoring after three minutes with a stunning goal. Best bicycle kick you've seen in the Premier League. I've seen it compared to Trevor Sinclair's all those years ago. I've seen it compared to um, the one that Cristiano Ronaldo scored in the Champions League for Juve against Real Madrid. I've seen it compared um, to Rooney's one against Manchester City. It was definitely a better technique than Rooney's one because it didn't come off his shin. Um, Forget the context. Forget where and when and how it happened. It's a stunning goal. And it's probably the goal of the season so far. And I'd be surprised, actually, if something comes along to beat that. When it comes to Manchester United's performance, it was a bit better. Um, not great, but going away from Everton it's a, uh, to Everton It's a difficult place. Everton had their chances and people thought that with their points deduction, there was going to be a bit of a bounce there that would cause um, United problems. Fair play to them. They got through it. Um, Kobe Mainu looked a really, really good talent in midfield. Begs the question as to why. Eric Ten Hag, having spent £500 million on players during his time at Manchester United, hasn't gone and got a ball-playing midfielder of that level and has been bringing in the likes of Amrabat, who he now doesn't fancy, or at times doesn't fancy, Mason Mount, you know, who isn't that type of player. All questions that need to be asked of Ten Hag, in my opinion, but credit where credit's due. They went there and won. As for Everton and their protests against the Premier League, I mean, I think they have every right to feel aggrieved, Um, But you look a bit silly then when you go get pumped 3-0. So, yeah, um, they'll be hoping that they can get back on track in the next one and uh, start to claw back some of those 10 points that they were deducted. Now, I just want to finish off by talking about the Derby d'Italia in Italy last night. Uh, (coughs) I beg your pardon. Derby d'Italia kind of gives it away, doesn't it? Uh, Juve took on Inter. How did that one go? (laughs) Well 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 uh, welcome back. It was a 1-1 uh, one, one draw uh between Inter and uh and uh, Juventus. It was at Juventus I should say, I should have said Juventus first. Let me just bring up uh, some of the details uh, of the match uh just so I can make sure that I'm giving you the right information as I go, but I'm just going to talk to you about how I saw it. Um this is an interesting game because I've been saying to to a few mates of mine that are Juve fans that I think they can challenge for the Scudetto this season. I've been saying that and people say, you know, well, no, because Allegri's there and they're not very good and all the rest of it. And I say, well, who are the contenders? And, uh, and people say, oh, well, you know, it's... Um, it's Milan, it's uh, Inter, it's, it's you know, well, Napoli are not in the mix this time. But, you know, I think that Juventus have to be taken seriously. They really, really do. Silvio says Juventus and Inter is not a Derby, Harry. It is known as the Derby d'Italia, my friend. Look it up. I'm assuming you're Italian based on your name. Um, check it out. It is the Derby d'Italia. That's what it's called. Um Look, I think that people look at Inter and and Milan and think that they're stronger generally than Juve and that over the course of the season, that's going to show. But I think Juve are a really, really interesting side. Um, They are a side that don't always play pretty football, but this season seem to be grinding out results. Um, Inter are going to have to go and win it. They're not going to have it handed to them. They're not going to have it put on a plate for them. And and I think Juve proved that last night. You know, if you look at the table now, there's only two points between them. Inter on 32 at the top of the pile, Juve on 30. Um, And yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be an interesting title race. I think I actually think that Milan are going to fall away. I think that Napoli are not going to be able to recover the, the distance that they've created between themselves and the top of the pile. So I think it's going to end up being a two horse title race. And I think, you know, Juve started the game and and Vlavic scored a a brilliant goal. Martinez, uh, Lautaro Martinez, that is then equalised. And then in the second half, people were quite critical of of Juve for sort of dropping off and sitting back. It was typical Allegri. You know, I'm not going to lose this. I'm going to make sure that I don't lose this. I'm not going to hand into the title by opening up and letting them find a winner or, or running the risk of them finding a winner. Instead, I am going to... Um, you know, close up shop, make sure we're within touching distance and move forward. It wasn't a great game to watch, but it sets things up nicely because Inter and Milan have a fixture uh, coming up very, very soon. Um, So, you know, things can, things are going to get interesting, aren't they? If you, you know, if you look at it that way, you could be in a position where, you know, you're, you're, I've lost my trailer, sorry. I'm going to cough that's why. <clears throat> you could be in a position where Juve are just hanging in there, hanging in there, hanging in there right until the end of the season and boom, they take it, they nick it. I wouldn't rule them out. I still make Inter favorites, but I I've been quietly impressed by what I've seen from Juve so far this season. They've only conceded eight goals um Inter've only conceded uh seven uh as well. But both of those sides look look solid to me and look like the two favourites now for the Scudetto. So an interesting game, not a brilliant watch, I have to say that. Um, I don't know why I bothered watching it back earlier, but yeah, uh, yeah, interesting, interesting outcome there in the Derby d'Italia. Um, Silvio, Juve are from Turin and Inter are in Milan. I know that, but it's still the Derby d'Italia, the Derby of Italy, not the Derby of Milan, not the Derby of Turin. Uh, I know that Turin um, the Turin Derby is Juve and Torino. And I know that the Milan Derby is Inter and Milan, of course, but it is the Derby tag. Google it, Google it and you'll see. I'm not just plucking it out of my backside. Um, it is a thing. Anyway, uh, I am going to leave it there, guys. Um, apologies, um, that this week's edition of Debrief is a little bit shorter. Um, but I've been on my travels and I didn't get to watch as many games from around the continent as I normally would. And as I'd like to, um, I did commentate on some CAF uh, Confederations Cup games, but I didn't figure that you guys would be um, massively across that. And so I'm not going to throw that into the mix. But yeah, just the one game from Italy this weekend for me. Plenty of Premier League action, though. Um, And uh, yeah, we'll be back next week with another edition of the debrief. Remember, you can check out our Brentford review uh, on the uh, channel and podcast right now if you haven't done so already. Leave a like on the video, subscribe to the channel if you're brand new, and I will see you all soon with another edition. In fact, I'll see you guys tomorrow with a preview of our Champions League clash with Lons. Until then, goodbye.